this week on the Digital Dust Podcast. And the idea is that the future has been changed because she protested the World War II so well that the America never entered and the Germans won. <laughs> Girly was protester number one, okay? Welcome back to Digital Dust. I'm Katie. And I'm Patrick. Nailed it. Is that supposed to be um, Darth Vader? Fucking nailed it. <laughs> yeah, is that not what we're talking about? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> Uh, I did get it though, so that was—I mean—it was a pretty good impression. Seeing as so, that, I, I honestly, it. it was. I think it was great. I was pretty blown away. Yeah. <laughs> Surprised even myself. <laughs> oh my exactly. God. All right. So, what are we talking about this week? If it's not about Darth Vader. <laughs> if it's not Star Wars, it's Star Trek. Ah. Whoa! Bait and switch. Did I do that on purpose? Because I actually did know the topic. No way! You knew the topic that we were about to do for the episode. Yeah, yeah, believe it or not, I sometimes look on Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> you know we love an Excel spreadsheet in this household. And a Google Doc. <laughs> oh, we love a Google Doc. We love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yes, we're talking about Star Trek today. Very exciting. It's going to be a, a grand old time. I'm going to lead this episode, which means that Patrick is basically going to say one word every 10 minutes because I won't let ah. him speak. <laughs> There's his word. That's his a lot yeah, of words. <laughs> mostly just being mm, ah, okay. Mm, mm. It may—I won't lie. It makes your audio easy to edit. It does. <laughs> I'm just gonna start with what I did in my Elliot episode, which is to ask you either what you know about Star Trek in general, or what you know about like the 1960s in America. Ah, well, <laughs> I know about one thing. In that much more than the other. I, I don't know a lot about Star Trek. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of science fiction, uh, but I, I grew up as a Star Wars kid. And, you know, back in the day, back in the, the mid 2000s, when the prequels were all the rage, I, uh, I, I certainly put myself in that sort of camp of like, I don't watch Star Trek. I watch Star Wars, <laughs> which is stupid. But, you know, as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I, I know a lot more about Star Wars than I do about Star Trek. But, I, I mean, I know that there's the Enterprise. I know that William Shatner was in it. And so there's, like, Captain Kirk and then and, and uh, uh, friggin' Spock and Hulu? Sulu? Sulu, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sulu? That, all right, cool. <laughs> Hulu, the streaming Oh, and, and uh, oh, is it O'Hara? Is Close. O'Hara. O'Hara, okay. <laughs> and they go to uh, uh, different planets, and it's more about sort of, like, exploration and stuff. And it's, it's all about, uh, like, sort of discovering the world and that sort of thing or i guess other worlds as opposed to the war element in star wars and 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 then and then there was also uh like the whole next generation thing with picard and the, the new group of of enterprises <laughs> trekker <laughs> folks who go on spaceships in star trek and and i love myself some good uh, patrick stewart and so uh yeah, so I do know that, I know that one a little bit, but yeah, other than that, not much. Uh, and then in, in terms of like the the sixties, in history in the sixties, I know a lot of sort of social movements were happening at the time, uh, civil rights, uh, sort of like r- beginnings of gay rights that would lead to the end of the sixties with Stonewall. 
uh, women's rights, those sorts of things were sort of pretty central in that decade. Other than that, yeah, that, I think that's that's my answer. I feel like nice. I'm in a job. That was a great answer. Honestly, you named like half the half the crew. Even got like another, I, but series. I didn't know another half existed. <laughs> I think that's the point. So I thought that's all there was. Uh, I think it's pretty incredible. You got like quite a little range of the crew too. There you go. Yeah. Okay, so let's start. Phasers, with... phasers, phasers. Yeah, look at you. <laughs> I'm just gonna start shouting out random Star Trek related words. Please, as I do. remember more. Please. Oh, Scotty! Scotty's the guy Scotty. who beams people. <laughs> That sounds bad. That doesn't sound good. There we go. He gets another member of the crew. Very good. Scotty beans up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There you go. Not bad, not bad. <laughs> All right. Okay. So just like a little context about why we're talking about this. I am a big Trekkie. Have been. You love it. Love it. Love it so much. I was wearing, I have a denim jacket that has like, lots of like pins and stuff and I was wearing it to work today and somebody was like what is that and it was like the little Star Trek the Starfleet insignia oh I was yes like, it's from Star okay. Trek big Trekkie my my background in Trekkiedom is that I watched part of the next generation so the Picard one that mm. you mentioned with my parents mm. my parents are like minor Trekkies they like like sci-fi but they weren't like they had like kids in the 90s okay they they couldn't be right. focused on that and then the reboots came out, so the 2009 film with uh, yes. Chris Pine. Ah, uh, and I, I love Chris, Chris Hemsworth Pine. is in like the beginning. As, he is as dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He <laughs> is. I know random stuff about Star Trek. Apparently, things are just popping up. Yeah, it has like a like a whack cast, um, but mm. I love Chris mm-hmm. Pine. So anything with Chris Pine in it, I was like, sign me up. Princess Diaries two really solidified that for six year old me. And uh, so I watched it with my parents and I was like, boom. So that's like the history of me as a Trekkie. Um, so we're talking cool. about this because I like it. And that's that's that, folks. <laughs> yeah, if you don't like that. If you don't like that, listening. click off. <laughs> like, and what? Amazing. Tell me more about what you like. Oh, of course. So we're actually going to, just in terms of the scope of the episode, we're only going to talk about mm. the original series. The reason for that. Ah, so the one thing you didn't mention. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry. Don't worry. That's the one with Kirk. That's the one with Kirk. You got there. Okay. So we're only talking about the original series, one, because we don't have like 80 hours to go, <laughs> and two, <laughs> because it's sure. the one that I know best. I've watched bits and pieces of all of the pre-2000s series there are 10 series that are star trek tv shows oh wow is picard one of them like yeah the star trek picard yeah. is one of them yeah is that good uh i mean if you liked the next generation yeah okay. we don't have time to get into this we don't have time to get into that <laughs> so because we don't have time to get into that we're only going to talk mm-hmm. about the original mm-hmm. series it's also Great. to me like the core of star trek like it's the closest to the heart because obviously the creator Gene Roddenberry actually created that show. Then he went on to like until he died, like produce and consult on other TV shows, but that was like right. the TV show he made. And so cool. it, it has maybe the most Star Trekky vibes. I think that's us for the context. 
Now, if you're listening to this episode and you don't know anything about Star Trek, I'm going to tell you things. Don't worry. If you're listening to this episode <laughs> and you know everything about Star Trek, don't f- come for me, okay? This uh, is just fun times. Ah, uh, yes. I know a thing or two about fandoms. <laughs> so, Star Trek the original series. It airs originally on September 6th in Canada, 8th in America, 1966. Mm. So, like, dead smack in the middle of the 1960s. There are three series, so three seasons, 79 episodes in total, and it starts with an episode called The Man Trap, which is hilarious to me. The episode <laughs> names, impeccable. Chef's oh, kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little description that I haven't written. I got this on Star StarTrek.com. It says, the original Star Trek series focuses on the 23rd century's adventures of Captain James T. Kirk and the USS Enterprise, a powerful interstellar spacecraft dispatched by Earth-based Starfleet Command to explore the galaxy. Cool. Basically, it's about this big spaceship that comes from Earth. Its five-year mission is just to explore. So that's the context. They're just like a little ship. Well, there's like 400 crew members, but like they're a little ship. Sure. Coasting along. It's episodic, so there's no real overarching plot between episodes. Mm. It just like happens and then close that up. Goodbye. It's really procedural. It's sort of like over and over the same sort of formula. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, they're like going along. They find something funny. They beam down to the planet and then they like either get trapped or they get attacked or something bad happens. They got to fix it. And then they get back on the ship and they go on their merry little way. Cool. Super fun. Super fun. This episode, our episode, is going to kind of break down into two parts. The first part is probably going to be the bigger part because it's the more interesting part which is about the characters. (laughs) Okay, cool. And then the second part, we're going to talk a little bit about the plot. We're going to look at how science fiction is able to commentate on modern issues and the ways that kind of Star Trek was interested in what was going on in the world. So let's talk about the characters. We're going to talk about four of the characters. So, oh God, how many bridge... It doesn't matter. We're not going to talk about predominantly the white men on the crew. So that's Captain Kirk, William Shatner. That's the main doctor, Bones, which is a hilarious name. His name's Bones? Dr. McCoy, but he gets called Bones. <laughs> and we're not going to talk no about- It's a no-bones day for us, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not going to talk about Scotty, the beamer-upper. He's too busy beaming people up. All right, we are talking about two- We're going to talk about two white men, but like- Outside of the context of the whiteness. Those three, they are just, you know, classic macho men doing their thing. Obviously, they were cast. Obviously, they were William Shatner was the star. Blah, blah, blah. So let's talk about one of the people you got, Sulu. So Sulu is um, introduced in, I do believe it's the very first episode. He's played by George Takai who um, was a Japanese-American actor. And the name Sulu, let's just start with that, does not have a Japanese origin. It's actually an entirely made-up name. Cool. The showrunner, Gene Roddenberry, and a lot of the original writers wanted a diverse cast on the crew. They wanted to like represent a more utopian world, and they wanted people 
of different races. They wanted women. They wanted lots of things. Of course, all in the context of the 1960s. So this isn't perfect. Yeah. That's a, that's a neat idea they were striving for. That's cool. It's a neat idea. And it comes as a complete like 180 from the typical science fiction you had in this period, which was very much like aliens attack and they take over and the aliens are actually the Soviets and everything's going to go badly when the Soviets take over. <laughs> of course. <laughs> ah. just describing stranger things now. I think. Yeah. But that was like the plot of every science fiction. And Gene Roddenberry sure. was like, what if we like look towards the future and we were positive about it? And everyone was like, hmm, <laughs> I don't know about that. That's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> no. So Sulu is supposed to represent a kind of pan-Asian character, which obviously is not that great because you can't just, there are so many cultures and you can't just be like, well, he's Asian and therefore, voila. Yeah. Yeah. But George Takai was very happy to take on the role because previously he had only ever really gotten to take on like the villain roles. He never got to play a positive character. And so he was really excited to be able to take on a more interesting role. Sulu's great. He's quite funny. He's the helmsman. So he's introduced as a physicist. But like I swear to God, by episode two, he's driving the ship. So I don't really know what happened there. <laughs> Is it, a, is it a pilot or is he just like sort of like puts in coordinates unless the ship Well, so that... that's an interesting thing because he and the next character we're going to talk about, Ant, uh, Pavel Chekhov, almost called him Anton Chekhov. <sighs> that's an awful. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> um... it, it, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a Russian, the Russian space dog is Pavlov <laughs> Chekhov. <laughs> that's a very niche joke. If it... <laughs> If anyone knows both who Pavlov and Chekhov are, I think that's very funny, and I'm I'm proud of it. It's, anyway. it's a pretty it's a pretty good joke. I'm not gonna lie. Thank you, thank you. But in any case, yes. Yeah, so so okay. he and Chekhov both sit in like the basically the center of the bridge, and the idea is that one navigates and one kind of drives. That's really neat. It's not. Okay. Yeah, it's you have to remember in the 1960s, their idea of what technology would look like was so different like they have what we might call ipads except they're not able to store more than one document so they carry around like a an ipad but it's just a single document which is hilarious that is funny i do what i think is interesting about those like the the people who are driving the the, the ship is that like it, that I don't know if that's how boats work, but that sounds like that's how boats yes. work. Yes, one person like sort of navigates and then the other person steers the wheel. Look right? at and, you. And I know right space and and the ocean have a lot of similarities. Yes, and that sort of thing. Yes, and you're totally right. They use the the structure of a navy crew, so they use the terms that come from the navy. Like, I believe when Chekhov's introduced, he's an ensign, which is like the low low rank. Somehow he's still navigating. I'm like, don't you want someone a little more experienced to be doing your navigation? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he like kind of drives. It's not entirely clear because they don't really care enough about the science to be like, this is the science. Sure. It's just sort of. Like yeah. That. So that's that. They do the best they can. Exactly. Now, the last part about Sulu, because we won't stick to him for too long, but there is a good interview with George Takai. There's a YouTube video. We'll link it in the show notes. Is that so? George Takai himself is a big activist. He was interned in a Japanese American internment camp during World War II, and he came out as gay in 2005. 
and he has used the platform that Star Trek gave him to be an activist his whole life. So kind of like cool offshoot of Star Trek. Not only are they giving one, (laughs) just one Asian actor some chances, but they are also allowing that kind of takeoff point to become like more active and, and more socially aware. And then the last aside is that in the reboots, which we talked about in the 2016 movie Beyond, Sulu's shown married to a man as like a kind of homage to George Oh, nice. Yes. So very nice. nice. Very cute. That's cool. Yes. I like that. That brings us to Chekhov. So Anton. Mm. No, God. Come on. Pavel <laughs> Chekhov. Good God. The dog. The dog. <laughs> is, if the name didn't give it away, the Russian character. So he's not introduced in season one. They they hid him away, okay? He's introduced season two. He comes out. He's the navigator. He's introduced with the teenage audience in mind. Oh, gosh. Because okay. they're like all these old fuddy-duddies. Who are, they, who are the teenage audience going to relate to? Who are they going to find hot? How are we going to get the teens interested in this show? And they choose, honestly, Chekhov. Like, from a 2020 point of view, you're like, what? That man (laughs) looks 30, number one. (laughs) So, teenage what? And he, like, he has the Beatles mop. But not in a good way. Oh, boy. Yes. Wow. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He is, but, you know... The 1960s was a different time, so all the power oh, sure. to you. The idea was we need a teenager. Then there's a little bit of this gap of like, well, a Russian teenager. And he's also not a teenager. In the reboots, he is. <laughs> in the reboots, they were like, make him a teen. But in this one, he's supposed to be in his like 20s. He looks 30. He's honestly five years younger than William Shatner. Yeah. There is a urban legend. That's the word. There's an urban legend about why they introduced a Russian character. And the urban legend, which as far as everyone knows is not true, is that Pravda, the communist newspaper, wrote an article about how typically capitalistic it was to have a utopian future that did not include a Russian. Particularly Uh. because in the (laughs) 1960s, the Soviets were running the space race. So they were as you were making the joke about the dog, they were doing well, and they were like, blah, blah, blah. Totally. Most people think that this is untrue. Why would Pravda care? You know? They have bigger fish to fry than this random TV show. But there, some people have claimed who were like in the writer's room or who were close to Gene Roddenberry that it was true, or at least he believed it was true, and that's why he introduced the character. Regardless, in the middle of the 1960s, in like what is essentially the height of the Cold War, it's the period of time where people are most concerned with nuclear war, there is a Russian character with a Russian accent who talks about the motherland all the time. This man is like, we do it better in Russia. The vodka is better in Russia. And you're like, sir, what's going on? This is 200 years later? Yeah. (laughs) The 23rd century and we're still on. This whole thing? Yeah. That's funny. It's an interesting character. It's a funny thing because looking back on it, I mean, now, obviously, mm. we haven't ever talked about it in the podcast, but there is conflict with Russia happening now. So maybe today you would think of it, oh, a Russian character. But like in sure, the early yeah. 2000s, 
you would watch that show and be like, and a Russian character, like, okay, and? Yeah. <laughs> cool. He likes the motherland a lot. That's <laughs> yeah. An, yeah. an interesting hmm, note curious. for that character, but like, okay. It just it reminds me of uh, of superheroes, particularly Superman and Captain America in the forties, and how like I don't know if that's that that's far off in terms of what newspapers might do because there were Nazi magazines and uh, newsletters and newspapers and stuff that would criticize Superman comics and criticize Captain America comics as being uh, anti-Nazi, which they obviously were, but uh, and and being like written by Jewish creators and that sort of thing. And so, I mean, I I, I definitely can see a, a historical track record of uh, regimes of various kinds criticizing their enemies based on the pop culture of, of those places. You know what I mean? Like that, that I, I think that, that tracks. That's interesting. I, I buy it. I mean, I love that. Maybe Pravda did. If you're interested in the full story, we're going to link the Snopes. Yes, the Snopes, the website your dad uses, article all about oh. this. It's a cool story, even if it's untrue. It's like really, it's a great urban legend. It is cool. The last thing about Chekhov, tragically, I just wanted to include this because I feel like it's like weird to talk about Chekhov and not say it. The actor who plays the rebooted Chekhov in the 2000s films died very, very young in 2016, right before the final movie came out. He was pinned by his own car on his driveway and he died. He was in his 20s. It was a whole thing. Ah. Really tragic. Um, Walter Koenig, who played the original Chekhov, who was not Russian. He was just a man, uh, is still alive. Uh, And also Anton Yelchin was also American, but he, I think he had, oh, I don't, I don't want to say. He had Slavic parents. They were of Slavic descent. Okay. I don't want to say it was Russian because I don't know if it was. But... Yes. Okay. That brings us to the third character, who you also mentioned, Nyota Ahura. Woo! Woo! Played by Zoe Saldana. Yeah, look at you. Yeah, man. Do you like Zoe a lot? Wasn't she green in that movie as well? No, she wasn't green. Or was she? I forget. No, but she has a green friend in the movie. There it is. Okay, cool. Just trying to remember. Big big Zoe Saldana fan in this episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Queen. She's great. She's also in Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> is she really? Yeah. Yeah, she's one of the uh, Jack's crew members when, when he gets crew in Tortuga in the first movie, and she slaps his face. Wow. Did not know yeah. that. Wow. There you go. Come to this podcast for the Star Trek. Leave with the Zoe Saldana <laughs> facts. <laughs> Neota Hora, she is the only female bridge crew member who's always seen on the bridge. So the bridge is what you would think of in a ship like the actual center where the wheel is and where all the people are standing around. She's a lieutenant Mm -hmm. in the beginning. She eventually makes it up to commander, I think. Um, It's a little confusing because there's canon in the Star Trek universe and then there's kind of a a canon adjacent. Okay. So there's the TV show and the movies that are canon – And then there's about a trillion books that have been released. Some written by the creator, Gene Roddenberry, some written by licensed authors, and some just written. So, like, Ahura's first name is never given in any of the the original series or the original series movies. Her first name is given to her by this, like, random author in the 1980s and approved 
by the creator of Star Trek. Okay. Well, yeah, that, that, so that's it is very name. similar to the Star Wars books that have come out over all these years. So, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It's that science fiction, like, fandom kind of world. Sure. Yeah, totally. And if it's approved by the creator, I exactly. mean, that's as close to canon as you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. So she's the only female bridge crew member. She's also the only black crew member almost ever seen. Wow. That's cool. It's one of those things where it's like, we're making strides, but also tokenism. The same thing goes for Sula. Yeah. Oh, total. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. like, we're going to put all this diversity in. And one of the diverse characters is Russian. And <laughs> most of the cast is still white and male. Oh, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> we have a black woman. So we got a two for. Yeah. Two for one. We don't need another. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely. Yeah. The 60s. Yes. So there are other there are two other important female characters who, by the way, don't get rebooted into the reboots that are made. Their names are Yeoman Rand and Nurse Chapels. So Ahura's on the bridge. She's always seen. She's in her admittedly quite short uniform. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> She's rocking that skirt though. I'm not gonna lie. Hell yeah. And she is the comms <laughs> officer on the bridge. So he- here she's in a very gender normative role. She is, for lack of a better phrase, answering the phone. In later series, comms officers are very important characters. They, they are the first contact with lots of species. They're often linguistic specialists. They're like very important people. And that's true of Zoe Saldana's character in, in the reboots. But yeah, she she is kind of answering the phone in a lot of ways. Yeah, very passive role. Yes. Sort of like, I'm, I'll be the negotiator. I'll be the one who sort of like settles this peacefully with yes. words and not violence mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So that yeah. is definitely her role. She does occasionally take command. She has like, she does move around on the bridge. She's like seen taking Sulu's seat and like driving the ship or whatever. We don't know what that means, but she's seen sitting in his seat and doing his job. So she's obviously very capable. But yeah, she is in that kind of gender normative role. And again, it's the 60s, so nothing is perfect. Okay? It's, it's, we're getting there. Mm-hmm. Nichelle Nicholas, who played Nyota Hora, who was American, but Nyota Hora, her name is Swahili, and there is an idea that she's Bantu, so coming from Southern Africa, but she speaks with an American accent, so there's kind of like a weird get there nichelle was going to leave the show after the first season she wanted to go back to being a stage actor she was cast because gene roddenberry knew her from a previous show he had show run called the lieutenant um and she was cast for that reason and she just wanted to go back to like not tv show acting and who comes in but mlk to be like but don't please right he was essentially like, you know, it's really important for people to see representation on screen and you're doing a lot of great representation work by being in this show. So she stays for all 79 episodes and she's in all of the movies. We haven't mentioned this, but there's six movies that come after the original series um, and they star the cast of the original series. That's really cool. That's 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 wild. That's that's neat. Um, I didn't know that uh king king would be involved in this sort of world but I mean, it makes it makes sense <laughs> i mean like right that's that's yeah. really cool yeah it's like something you would forget but then you're like oh that actually that makes sense she wrote a book called oh, i think it's called beyond a horror but i don't actually know that 
Uh, we'll link her book in the show notes if you want to read it. A lot of these actors have written biographies because these are the things that made them famous by and large. William Shatner, maybe not the truest. It's what he's famous for now, but um, all the other actors really became famous because of this one thing. So they often wrote autobiographies about that. The last note on Ahura, like just a sad side note, because there always has to be a sad side note. I learned when doing the research for this episode that Nichelle Nicholas died in July this year. Very sad. Yes, yes, I heard about that. Okay, that brings us to the last character. And I did tell you that this is going to be the bulk of the episode. And maybe the character who on the surface level, you don't even think of as being a kind of representation well, you do, but not a representation of humans, is Spock. Ah, of course. Of course. We have to talk about Spock. Easily the most named character from the series. People know Kirk, but people really know the name Spock. Oh, sure. He was played by Leonard Nimoy in the original series, and he's the only alien on board. So there's a crew of 400 people, and only one of them is of any race but human. We talked about how it was sent from Earth, so it kind of makes sense. But I think a lot of this was just that they didn't have the prosthetics money. Nowadays, in like Star Trek Discovery, you see a lot of aliens on the crew. Really interesting, like high CGI, high prosthetics. But there was like pushback against even him having pointy ears because they were like, the devil. And everyone was like, okay. Which is fascinating, right? Because you'd think elf or something first. Yeah. So Space elf. <laughs> space elf. Speaking of space, Spock, for anyone who doesn't know, is half human, half Vulcan. So he's not even a full alien. He is the child of the ambassador to Earth from Vulcan, this faraway planet, and a woman who is the ambassador's second wife. It doesn't matter. Anyway. A lot of stuff. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of Spock lore. A lot of Spock lore. He's the first ever human Vulcan mixed race child um, oh, and it took okay. his parents a long time to conceive him notably so like mm. he, he wasn't just like conceived you know he was like desired but the his whole backstory actually comes from a great quote from um leonard nimoy so leonard nimoy was really popular spock was hugely popular it's called spock mania like he couldn't go to a restaurant. He got like tens of thousands of letters a week from people. It's reportedly, Shatner found it quite annoying because he was supposed to be the star. Yeah, that sounds like Shatner. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously, sure. like Nimoy was getting all of the fame from it. Um, and he got a letter from a small biracial girl being like, I really relate to Spock. I can see myself in him. And he replied, and it's just a great quote, so we're going to say it. Um, he said, Spock understands the trauma of human existence, for he is not at home with Earthman or Vulcan. He can function only in the fabricated and neatly ordered society of the Enterprise. There he knows who he is. He relates to his role very specifically, and this gives him a kind of cool. And so it's like this idea that he can't go to Earth because on Earth he has pointy ears and he's too logical, but he can't live on Vulcan because on Vulcan his human side comes out too much and he's too emotional. And he has to kind of exist somewhere else. And that's, for him, the Enterprise. And obviously, that related to a lot of kids who came from different backgrounds, particularly in America, kids with one white parent and one black parent or any kind of mixed race, mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. 
And so yeah. people it was were biracial. yeah, totally. Yeah. Like biracial people, kids in particular obviously could really relate to him because it was like, "Oh yeah, his parents come in an episode and he's like he has tension with his parents about his decisions and how he chose to relate in the world and all of that and obviously he's not like either of his parents and he has that um, dynamic. And so I think Spock is one of those things where until you think about this like Spock lore, as we'll call it. <laughs> Spore. Spore. He's just like, you know, the fun, logical character who makes the little Yeah, quips. he's a straight man. He's like, yeah. he's, like, he's like the robot character that makes everyone else funnier because he doesn't he exactly. thinks very logically. Yeah, yeah, totally. But then you take it in the context of a 1960s America or even honestly a 2020s America and the way that people like struggle to fit in if they aren't part of a prescribed like box. So Spock is great. If you like that notion or you just like like Leonard Nimoy, I would recommend his son directed a documentary called For the Love of Spock, which is all about that. Um, yeah, it's great. It interviews Leonard Nimoy, who passed away in February of 2015. So he is... Uh, being gone for quite some time. He was in the rebooted series. He was the only original series actor to be in the reboots, which I'm sure Shatner hated. I'm sure of it. I mean... <laughs> What's the uh, most well-known thing about Spock? Uh, oh, his Vulcan salute? Yes. Is that it? Yeah. Forgive yeah. my Vulcan pronunciation for a second. The Tahal? The Tahal? I can't pronounce it. It's T-A-apostrophe-A-L. Um, it comes from a Jewish hand symbol, the Cohen, which oh, interesting. Nimoy had seen as a child. And he, it was him who um, created the hand symbol. So that's pretty, oh, just a little, little snippet in there. Love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Really cool. So thus concludes our character section. Just a little bit about how you can cast people or tell more diverse stories in science fiction. Um, not necessarily the most diverse, but again... It's the 1960s. We get a l- honestly, we it takes us a while to get a black captain, and it takes us a while to get a female captain, and those are two separate people. So, but anyway, right. yeah, it's just like it, like it's uh, uh, definitely a product of the, of the 60s in that way. But it, yeah. it is it is neat to see how like this show really put sort of like you were saying. What was the word that you want? Not activism. The other one. Uh, social, social commentary social commentary like like how this was both informed by the social commentary of the or just like sort of like living in the 60s and how like it is a product of of that time and informed by the social movements at the time and also trying to have some sort of social commentary purposefully uh at, at the same time so i think that's, that's really neat um so eloquent incredible you know well there you go um, how succinct yeah. versus my like 30 minutes of rambling being like <laughs> and then check off <laughs> Anton no <laughs> that is half the episode <laughs> that is half the episode is me being like Anton Chekhov no Pavel Chekhov yeah. pa- Pavel yeah so this Pavel. brings us to, to section two which is a shorter section mainly because I can't sit here and describe to you the entire plots of episodes that would simply not be interesting and it would not be fun. And if you're really interested, just go watch the episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. I agree. <laughs> what, one of the most important things to just mention overarching in Star Trek is the fact that it takes place in the 1960s when perhaps one of the most talked about things 
in America is the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War lasts a very long time. It doesn't begin in the 60s, but I believe it's 1963 when American troops first step foot in Vietnam. And so there is some social commentary episodes, not necessarily activism, because sometimes you're like, what are you doing? As an aside, and there will be links to essays about this because it's a a well-talked-about thing, the writers of Star Trek were against the war. They There was like a, like, in, I think it was a San Francisco newspaper, there was like a little ad, letter to the editor type thing, signed by a bunch of sci-fi writers, which is so, like, random and so 1960s, like, who cares what the sci-fi writers think, but okay. And a lot of the the Star Trek writers were signed onto that. That being said... It's a very interesting little couple episodes that are about the Vietnam War. One of the most important is City on the Edge of Forever, which the overarching plot, which, by the way, incredible name, okay? The Man Trap Who? (laughs) City on the Edge of Forever. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great name. The overarching plot... That name fucks. That it does, right? Is about how an individual can affect change, which sounds really positive. Yeah, that sounds great. But... (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) It's set in the context of World War II. So it's about this. It doesn't, the whole context of it doesn't matter, but it's about one woman who was like a protester. And the idea is that the future has been changed because she protested the World War II so well that the American never entered and the Germans won. Okay. That's, wait. Yeah. <laughs> she protested so good. Like, she organized so well. (laughs) Girly was protester number one, okay? (laughs) What? (laughs) Like, against getting involved in the war? Yes. So So she was, like, a peaceful... I'm sorry. Okay. I thought you meant, like, she was protesting the Nazis. Oh, no. America was like, you got it. (laughs) You're doing great, sweetie. We don't need to... (laughs) Can you imagine? No, no, no. Sorry. She was was a pacifist. She was anti-war. Okay. Okay. And because she processed that so well, they didn't enter the war. And obviously, World War II, especially in the like kind of post-war years, was seen as a necessary war. And it still is today. And for for good reason in, in lots of ways. And so it's kind of trying to use this reflection of World War II to Vietnam to be like, sometimes war is necessary. And sometimes protesting that war will end in a worse outcome. So a very interesting take on the Vietnam War. Okay, this is before any major bloodshed has happened in the Vietnam War. I want to say City on the Edge of Forever is season one, but it's it's definitely quite early. It's before any of the like major problems with Vietnam come up that have people kind of stumbling over it. I mean, obviously, people don't want that in the beginning, but blah, blah, blah. Which is interesting, though, because I mean, like when you when I think about the Vietnam War, I immediately think about war protesters from like the very beginning. Yes. So it, it, it's it's neat to to see that like historically, it actually, might have been a bit more of a process, a bit more of a slow burn getting to that point. Yes, and this was like you know Star Trek was trying to like push their hand to be like, yeah, maybe it's not the best war, but maybe it's a necessary war, which obviously it wasn't. Good God! But anyway, that that aside. The second episode, which you feel like, oh yeah, this is gonna this is gonna be a, a negative Vietnam episode, is called a private little war. Okay. 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 But it, there's always there's always a little something something going on in the Star Trek universe. Essentially, what happens is they land on a planet, and there are two warring sides. It's obviously supposed to be a Vietnam. One is north, one is south. 
And the, the, the big question is whether or not they should arm one side because one side is armed and one side isn't. And there's this big debate between Kirk, who's the captain, and Bones, who we didn't really speak about, but he's the doctor. Um, and he's often the kind of heart. I mean, he's a lot more than that, but yeah, sure. But he's like often the, the moral center of the show in a lot of ways. Okay. Sort of deontological, like... Yes. Captain America, kind of like there is right and wrong and we have to do yes. right, sort of. Yes, okay. So cool. um, Bones is like, this is a big risk, blah, blah, blah. Like, we could throw this planet into years, decades, centuries of war by doing this. So it showcases a debate between what should happen. Guess who wins? You don't have to. It's Kirk. Yeah. It's always going to be the captain. The captain's always going to win. He's going to do what he wants. <laughs> He's going to do what he wants. This, however, reflects not like the Vietnam that was happening when this episode released. It reflected like the pre-1963 Vietnam when they were just arming South Vietnam. I see. When they weren't like actually because, you know, the Enterprise leaves. They don't leave any of their crew members to fight this war. They just like hand the arms over and they leave. So two episodes that are about Vietnam that you kind of think those won't be pro-Vietnam, but they kind of are. And you're like, oh, Mm -hmm, interesting. mm -hmm. They're still obviously commentating on what's happening. And they're using the, like, setting of a a science fiction world to reflect back on what's happening around people. But, yeah, you would think, well, I I thought going into it that there would be, like, more anti-Vietnam sentiments. But there weren't, especially in those two episodes, which are the major, like, anti-vietnam episodes there's also a third episode that we won't really go into but i forgot to say star trek is the goofiest show alive if you Ah. watch this show and you're you've listened to this episode and you think you're gonna watch like some sort of intense show about like you know you're gonna watch a show where the first alien you see is a dog with a unicorn horn taped to its head and you're like that's an alien (laughs) these people did not take this seriously that's great the the reason i brought this up is one of the episodes is solved by kirk just passionately reciting the beginning of the declaration of independence and it solves all the problems and then they go Ah. (laughs) amazing (laughs) national treasure three the (laughs) national treasure three the last (laughs) two episodes we're going to talk about are not about vietnam because I didn't okay. want to do a history of Vietnam. I, I don't really know much about the war beyond, like, what anyone else knows. And, yeah. you know, I thought this section might interest you a little bit more. So one of them is called Plato's Stepchildren. Again, what a what? slapping name. <laughs> I want to know more. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird episode. It's actually an episode that hasn't... Like, the BBC refused to air it, and not for the reason that we're going to talk about it, because there was too much sadism and torture in it, which, okay, from our modern standards, you're like, that's (laughs) not anything. (laughs) But (laughs) from the 1960s standards, they were like, scal surprise, you know? Anyway, it, it basically, the plot is that, like, a bunch of the crew members, like, get tortured by, like, telekinesis. Uh, Super random. Classic devil work. Classic. But one of the tortures is a, a forced kiss, so non-consensual, between Ahura and Kirk, being one of the first interracial kisses on American television. Very interesting. Kirk, by the way, mad womanizer, but actually 
We love him. I've heard. I've heard. He loves to kiss women. It's his favorite thing. Well, we love it because the reason I love him for it is that he is a great example of a man weaponizing his sexuality. You get that a lot in like women spies, you know, when they're like, let me seduce this person. But this man kisses people left, right and center to get what he wants. (laughs) He's out there (laughs) making moves. (laughs) Always. Wow. Okay. All right. It's uh, it yeah. slaps. It it really does slap. <laughs> it's one of the things that they didn't get right in the reboots. I mean, they didn't get a lot right in the reboots, except Beyond. Beyond slaps. But he, this man, <laughs> will kiss anyone if it means getting him out of trouble. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. All right. <laughs> Ahora and Kirk kiss. It's one of, it's sometimes said the first interracial kiss on American television, but it's not. But it's one of the first, you know, the 1960s, big social change, one of the first. Notably, a story that Nichelle tells in her autobiography about the filming of this is that they were supposed to film two scenes, like two variations, which happens a lot in television. One where they kissed and one where they didn't. But Shatner and her just refused Ah. to do the one where they didn't. They were like, no, no, no. Oh. We are we are always going to kiss. We're going to mess up every scene that we don't kiss in. So you have to you have to put this one. Wow, that's that's just Kirk needing to. <laughs> that's kiss just Kirk wanting to kiss. He also kisses um, Nurse Chapel in that in the same episode, but that's not that interesting. She's just a white woman. <laughs> yeah, but you, so you, it was non consensual. Well, like it was non consensual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, story the story was the story plot was just wild. We don't need to get. <laughs> we don't need to get into it. But yes, it was it was a forced torture mechanism thingy. It was a weird episode. Let's just torture, leave it at that. Torture, torture via kiss. Torture them all. There's like a weird alien race that's trying to torture them for some reason, and it like makes they make Spock show emotions. It's this whole plot. It doesn't really matter. It's a lot. Again, it's all episodic. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing about. Plato's stepchildren is that there is a line in it. The like side plot is about how there's this one character in the universe where they're torturing these people who is played by like a little person who doesn't have the telekinesis powers. Kirk talks to him at one point in time to like encourage him to like be true to himself. And he says the line where I come from size, shape or color does not matter. And no one has the power. And that is, like, very much an encapsulation of, like, the utopian society that Star Trek is supposed to be reflecting. That's interesting. That's neat. I also, I do love that sort of, like, colorblind, like, like I, I, when I say I love, I do not mean I endorse. I just mean I, I think it's interesting. Like, it, it, that is definitely the sort of, like, colorblind ideology of, like, no, race and stuff doesn't yeah. matter anymore. But I, the white man, am still in charge because yeah. we, it's, that's just how it is. That's just the 1960s for you. Yeah, so, but yeah. I mean, you know, hey, for the time, that, that that's pretty interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. The last episode we're going to talk about, which this is just kind of like a throwaway line because I'm not going to spoil it, but if you want to watch it because you're interested in it, is called, this is the best episode title, by the way, Let This Be Your Last Battlefield. Dun, dun, dun. What? What? Oh, my God. That, 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 that's great. That is the best name. It's an episode uh, about basically they come across two aliens who are having this massive fight about some difference between them. They're from the same species. 
and they're having this big argument. And it's supposed to reflect the kind of arbitrary nature of race and race conflict because it's like the humans can't tell or it's not can't tell, but like, it, you know, to them, that difference is like inconsequential. Like, does it matter? Yeah. To them, th- they're noticeable. like, no, it's noticeable. But they're like, OK, but why do you care? And so it's like all about kind of that. I'm not going to tell you the ending. OK, so you're just going to have to watch it for yourself. I'm not. Again, it's social commentary. It's not activism. So I'm not telling you that it's a positive ending. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. White man always wins. No. But it's definitely, I had yeah. to, for no other reason, I had to say, let this be your last battlefield. Like, come on. Okay. So that brings us to the conclusion of the episodes section. Do you, I've meant to say this. Do you have any questions? Nah, this has been great. This is, this is, I know, I know everything about Star Trek now. I, you do. I, you do. I am. Uh, I've graduated from Starfleet Academy. Yeah, that's exactly it. There Starfleet Academy. Look at you go. There you go. One thing I forgot to say is that there was an unaired pilot, so they had filmed a whole a whole pilot with a different crew except Spock. Whoa. Spock. Spock remains, <laughs> and it got canned by the network. And one of the things that was in the pilot that the network said, um, no was a female first officer. Oh, yeah. shit. Rest in peace, number one. That was her name. Um, <laughs> wow. Numerical designation. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Women's equality now. Women's equality now. Number one. <laughs> Dang, though. That sucks. So, yes. Tragic, unaired pilot. Spock made it through because they were like, but we need Spock. And the network was like, I don't know. And then everyone loved Spock. And the network was like, good choice, us. (laughs) We're so smart. We're so smart. (laughs) This has been a great episode. I love talking about Star Trek. This has been a great episode. This has been a great episode. I think we nailed it. If you have any Star Trek episodes that you love or any like, you know, where you're like, oh, look at them commentating on this. Send us a DM. I want to hear about it. There are 79 episodes. Like at least half of them are commentating on something in society. And now if you have someone complain to you that the modern Star Treks are too political, you can just whip this out of your back pocket and be like, but wait, Star Trek has always been political. So and that's what you do. You go, eat it. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Katie, who's your favorite Star Trek character? Mm, that's an interesting question. Um, probably comes from the series I didn't mention, which is Star Trek Enterprise, which the Trekkies listening to this will hate me for saying, but I loved Enterprise. People hate it because it's like real campy, but I think it goes back to the heart of the camp of the original series. Oh, um, sure. Okay. My favorite character, his name is Trip Tucker. Okay. That's and a fun he name. Is, he's a great name. He's the chief engineer. And he falls in love with the Vulcan, which is, like, mad respect. Mad respect. So, that's probably... I mean, I love Spock. I love Bones. Bones slaps. He's played by Carl Urban in the, in the reboots. Mm. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. And obviously, I love Chris Pine. He's not a Star Trek character, but that doesn't matter. There you go. <laughs> Do you like uh, Kirk better or Picard better? I like Kirk better. You son of a bitch. You like Picard better? You don't even I mean, know yeah. them. Yeah, but like, I like Patrick Stewart more than I like William yeah. Shatner. Yeah, well, here's the problem. Patrick Stewart was too good at acting. He really brought the caliber of that show up too much. 
I'm like, sir, take your soliloquies (laughs) down, okay? (laughs) Like, that's not the place. One thing I do know about Star Trek is that he he, uh, apparently, because he he came from like a a theater background and a Shakespeare background and that sort of thing, he essentially talked about how the Star Trek uniforms didn't have pockets. And a lot of his castmates were so confused about what to do with their hands. But he, he knew what to do, Katie, because in Shakespeare, you don't have pockets either. And you know what you do with your hands? You just keep them at your sides. And so that's what he did. And it worked. Wow. wow. Incredible. (laughs) You put a lot of thought into that, man. (laughs) Wow. One final note. If you are interested in a thing we didn't talk about at all, which is a concept of moral relativism in Star Trek, if you don't know Star Trek, you might want to read it anyway, but if you do know it and you haven't heard of this, you should read a Tumblr post. Yes, I said this correctly, a Tumblr post that I'm going to link all about how the Prime Directive, which we didn't talk about, but it's like their set of rules, means that they don't have to have like hard stances on some moral issues, that they can like skate over moral issues quite easily. So that's pretty interesting. It's called the Prime Directive. I'm going to link up the thing uh, if you want to... If you want to read it, it's really cool. Makes you think. And on that note, send us a DM. Tell us who your favorite Star Trek character is. I'll probably make like a poll or something on Instagram. The right answer is Trip Tucker, but anyway. Thank you for listening if you made it this far. What about the guy, the, the reading rainbow guy? That's the other guy. Oh my uh, God. LeVar Burton. LeVar <laughs> Burton. Yeah, okay, visor, he's my favorite yeah. character. I saw a man down. walking around wearing a visor like that. I was like, are you cosplaying or is that what your glasses look like? <laughs> and with that. <laughs> and with that, thank you for listening. If you made it this far, wow, amazing. I rambled for an hour straight. So um, any last words, Patrick? Uh, uh, live long and prosper. Is that from the show? Live long and prosper. Peace and long life. See you on the flippity floppity. Bye. I don't know why. I don't know why I chose Wario at the end of that. (laughs) Digital Dust is recorded on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Lenapawak, and Attawandaran peoples, on lands connected with the London Township and Somber Treaties of 1796 and the Dish with One Spoon Covenant Wampum. This land continues to be home to First Nations peoples, Métis people, and Inuit people, whom we recognize as the contemporary stewards of the land and waters we are on today. Digital Dust is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Edwards, Katie Gaskin, Patrick Kingen, and Robin Marshall. Sound design by Elizabeth Edwards. Audio transcription by Katie Gaskin. Our theme music is by Mattias Miller.